Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Seize the GM. It is good to hear from you again. Or Oh, it's good to be heard at all, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, being heard might be better. Well, today is actually a very special episode. We have an interview. Uh, yes, you're right. Someone is voluntarily talking to us. But more than that, we've got an interview about an ongoing Kickstarter that pretty much every member of Seize the GM is jazzed about and possibly already backing. Uh, yes. So I got to wait for payday, but I backed the other one. <laughs> we are very fortunate today to have Josh Harrison with us, who is the line dev for Earth Dawn at Fossa Games. You've probably heard us talk and wax poetically about Earth Dawn if you are a longtime Seize the GM fan over the last 102 episodes, or if not, you should go back and listen to the backlog and find where we talk really good things about Earth Dawn. But. <laughs> Either that or, or watching someone, a.k.a. me, look at it kind of quizzically and then kind of poke it a little bit and then open up the book. And then it's kind of like it's almost like a facer comes out and I'm like, I'm fine with this. I'm happy. <laughs> Fossa Games has an ongoing Kickstarter right now that came on the heels of a successful Kickstarter they just did. And I got to tell you, I am excited for a whole bunch of reasons. And I'll get into that into the questions. But first, we've talked enough. We have a guest. Josh, you are the person who's in charge of what's sometimes been called the best fantasy RPG that someone hasn't played. What, for you, is the elevator pitch to get someone into Earth Dawn? And then we'll have you talk about yourself. But um, yeah, starting yeah. with the <laughs> All right. Well, first off, it's great to be here. I agreed to talk to Jules. I'm not so sure about you. Aw, I love you too, sweetie. You are awesome, awesome beyond words. Anyway, my elevator pitch for Earth Dawn is it is a hopeful post-apocalyptic fantasy RPG. Which is to say that it is set in the aftermath of a large magical apocalypse where foul beasts from the depths of who knows where broke through into the world and caused untold destruction for a period of centuries. Uh, fortunately, there was warning that they were coming and people hid away in underground magical bunkers called cares. Uh, and their children and their children's children grew up uh, not knowing the surface. And uh, eventually the horrors as these fell beasts were called retreated many of them back to their native 
dimensions and people started opening the doors to their cares and discovering a changed surface and are starting to rebuild and reclaim uh, an even shorter fantasy uh, an even shorter pitch that some people have said is basically uh cross fallout with dungeons and dragons Ooh. okay that that's a that's a good pitch rosa yeah if that does not intrigue you either the shorter or the longer of the short pitches why are you still listening to us after a hundred episodes, but <laughs> Josh, you have yourself in a position that many of us gamers would love to be in as a line dev. And so out of curiosity, what's your origin story with earth Dawn? How did this game that now consumes you first get its claws into you? How were you horror marked by Fossa? <laughs> nice. I love your, wow. You are good at this. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> so I have been a gamer for a very long time. Uh, I started back in the old Redbox D and D days, um, and kind of cut my teeth on Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and got dragged into other games uh, by the gift of a Shadowrun Second Edition hardcover in '92, I think it was, basically very shortly after it came out, um, and found that very intriguing, and played that a little bit my senior year of high school. And then went off to college and got my first real internet connection. This was in the early 90s. And everybody and joined a bunch of like Shadowrun email lists and things, the days of listserv and whatnot. And everybody on the listserv was talking about this new thing that FASA had put out at Gen Con that year, which had a lot of like similar art stylings, but it was a fantasy game that like had the same orcs and trolls and all that stuff that Shadowrun did, but it's like, you know, fantasy. And then I stumbled across a copy of The Longing Ring, which was the first fiction novel uh, for Earth Dawn in the campus bookstore. And then out at the mall, they had a like front of the store cardboard display of the core book. And I think I think the first supplement was actually out at that time, but I didn't pick that up, just the core book, um, you know, that fall of 93. So this was right when it came out and I read it and didn't actually get a chance to play for a little bit, but the setting just hooked me kind of really early on because uh, I've always been kind of more of a fan though I like both there's nothing wrong with it um, but yeah and so like from the very beginning and uh, got involved with the online Earth Dawn community over the years and then you know got into playtesting and consulting and some writing as we started getting into like second and third edition and things like that. And that all just kind of gradually led to the point where uh, somebody looked over at me and said, Hey, we're looking for somebody to take it over. Are you interested? And I went, okay, I guess. <laughs> well, well and I'll be honest. Um, fourth ed, which is my first introduction to earth on, uh, I am, a very newcomer to the series. The one thing, I don't know how much a, of a hand you had in making sure that a newbie, when they're reading on how to create a character, it feels like you're reading like somebody from the world telling you a little bit about their story to give you an idea of this is how a class feels. Um, it, it it's Let's put it this way. The rules sometimes are a little... And even for me, a little over my head, but when I'm reading it, when I'm reading like how to build a warrior or or how to to build a uh, a bard or something like that, and I'm reading it, 
how the how it's presented is like a bard from that world is telling you a little bit about it without being information overload. So one thing I wanted to to ask is in coming up with fourth ed and you know bringing it to the masses, which it should be because it is that awesome. Uh, what were details in how you presented the information to make sure it didn't get overwhelming, but didn't bore the, you know, the old guard to tears? That is a very good question. Um, a lot of the sort of insetting presentation of a lot of the, the lore and material is something that dates back to the, to the very first edition. Um, that is something that was very strong and Earth Dawn always had a very, very distinctive and excellent voice in that regard. Um, that, that was something that that's been part of the line from the beginning. What I drew on kind of when bringing up to fourth edition is I have now, of course, 25 plus years on, <laughs> have a lot of experience playing the game. I were running the game. I've run the game, ran two long-term like multi-year campaigns of Earth Dawn uh, in the course of conventions and other stuff. I have taught hundreds of people i've introduced the game to them and, and taught you know literally hundreds of people how to play and you know from home games and short-term stuff and one shots and whatnot i i really know where the strong points of the game shine um and the places where it might be a little bit rougher and so one of the things that I tried to look at when working on fourth edition was highlighting those strong points and using those to engage the the reader. If it is somebody somehow who is learning from the book and not necessarily learning at the table with somebody who is more familiar with it and, you know, trying to make, it's just like really like polishing the writing and finding the good places and highlighting on those and, and, that kind of stuff while making sure the information that's necessary for actual play is also conveyed there as well. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I did like is, and anyone that is creating a game, please, for the love of all that is holy, unholy and everything in between, put an index, please. Xerox is always pleased by an index. <laughs> so, <clears throat> So here's my question. I'll, I have another one. Is like because I'm just starting to get into the the lore of the world, and from what uh, Gardamanger has has been poking and needling, there's a whole bunch of like epic things that are kind of going to happen. So one, how do we also make sure that a noob kind of like me, because I'm still learning all the lore, even though I've been I've started playing, I still don't know it all, but I don't get. Like, I don't end up being super out of date. A really quick note for everybody listening. She's also on Legends of Earth Dawn, the actual play podcast in the Shadowcasters network that Josh also plays on. So we'll add that in the doodly-doo as well. But when she says she's just started playing, she's she's underselling herself again. It's more of the, I. a lot of people have like years of knowledge of the story and Kind of like how Shadowrun, it's like, okay, every new edition, they go forward a couple of years. The future kind of goes forward. And, you know, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. But with new stuff coming out, as Gardemanger, darn new, I, now I'm really curious. I don't want to make sure, I don't want to get my stuff out of date, but I also don't want to be overwhelmed by all the influx and confusing myself. 
How would uh, we keep, how would someone like me keep on top of that? Well, fortunately, Earth Dawn, well, yeah, Earth Dawn does not have the incredible, doesn't quite have the incredible span of setting development in terms of timeline advancement that Shadowrun has. Like a lot of stuff has happened in Shadowrun over the various editions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's especially somebody who's who might be just be getting into it now and wants to bone up on all of that stuff can be a little it can be a little bit daunting, especially when you start factoring in novels and like all of that other stuff. Um, I, I would say that the best way to, to approach that, I would say, is to not necessarily be so concerned with the history or the or the timeline development of things except in the broader scheme i think a better way to approach the setting from earth dawn and and the the history and lore of it is to approach it the same way that that say your character coming out of a care for the first time would that there may be some things that they have heard about and some of which is is referenced in you know, the player's guide and, and whatnot. Um, but to also like start exploring and looking at areas that interest you and looking into those and getting the history and lore and legends through that exploration um, rather than, okay, now I need to go and read, you know, 30 pages of like bagats and stuff in order to understand things. Um, really, especially with fourth edition, one of the things that I tried to do uh, was make it accessible for people who might be discovering Earth Dawn for the first time or might have heard about it but never really looked into it and are coming into it. That that there was a very clear in the GM's guide, there's there's quite a bit of setting information, but it's presented as a sort of now here's what happened before, here's some information on the setting, go wild. And I, I it was intentionally created and shaped to be uh, uh, in a position where there are lots of interesting things that could potentially happen in various parts of, of Bar Save, the core setting, but um, that it did not feel like you would need to go back and buy you know, a bunch of, of old books and read those in order to, to understand and get a, a basic grasp of what's going on. And with that in mind, I want to turn kind of to our more recent history because of the recently successful Kickstarter that created a book that had kind of sort of been promised for maybe 20, 25 years. And that was... We have been waiting for Yopos for a long time. Oh and yes, gosh. so recent past, the Yopos book has come out and it details the city and the Danerastis clan and all that's going on in what has always been a, a, a shadowed but promised section of the setting. And Josh, what was it like for you or what were you particularly interested in doing in kind of fulfilling what had been this this kind of decades long inchoate promise of a, a, a reveal. Um, I actually tried not to think of the weight of expectation um, as we were developing that because that can be a bit paralyzing. Um, but 
it was more like we've got a general idea of how the Denerastus operate from hints and information that is given in some of the early material, like how the Denerastus were involved in the death of King Varolus III of Thrall, and how they used that to try and pit Thrall and Thera against each other in a kind of a let's you and him fight situation. Um, and other and we had some insight into the holders of trust, which are sort of the combination secret police. Um, the combination and police and 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 special forces and so forth of the um, the the Denerastus clan. They they were described a little bit in the uh, secret societies of Barsay book for first edition. Um, and so understanding that we had a group that operates very clandestinely and rather than being a sort of brute force, strong military presence like the Therans are is one that operates much more um, obliquely and covertly um, that we needed to do that, but also present how life in the city is like for the average person and why this city that clearly is so heavily under the thumb of the Denerastus and their uh, mysterious patron. Um, and, and that the kind of high end struggles that are, that are going on there and how that all kind of fits together and to present a place that is um, realistic for whatever worth that term has that would be interesting as a place to um have adventures in that would be dangerous because obviously these kinds of guys are kind of the big bads uh, and um but also like just start revealing some stuff without giving away too much information but kind of present it as here's the way that things are here are the relationships between these important people here's kind of the way that they try and operate here is how they manage to maintain control over the populace of the city over all this time um and kind of use that and and here are some things that they might have going on in various other parts um and kind of say okay Here's sort of a, a book somewhat related to big bads and some secrets about them and things like that. And kind of just give GMs tools to use either to have characters get involved in the city um, or in plots elsewhere in the province. I don't know if that answer actually answered your question, but. No, I think it did. Well, it did in a lot of good ways. And I think the idea of not being beholden to the possible weight of expectation is an important thing for a lot of people to, to keep in mind. And I've, I've lavished some praise on the Opus book and, and, and it's, it feels like fourth ed kind of came into its own with that book and it found uh, fully found its footing as far as being rooted in earth John's history, but very much having its own voice and exploring an area that hadn't been explored. And, and so I'm going to repeat my praise here again, that it really does feel like the first fully mature and forward-looking book that, that FASA has gotten to do with fourth ed and give big kudos because it it's remarkable. <laughs> I, I loved reading it. It was well, fun. It was, yeah. It, thank you. I, you know, I, and I, I think that's a fair assessment um, because I came into working on Earth Dawn as a longtime gamer and experienced game master and, you know, sort of 
critic and contributor and sometime editor and really did not understand the sheer amount of work that actually is involved in creating gaming product. Um, even when you have an established setting and a pretty solid rule base to work from to begin with. Um, so I've got a lot of respect for, you know, my, my colleagues uh, in the industry. Um, and it's still now, you know, six years on feels weird to say that. Um, but yeah, I, I really think the Iopos book was, was one of the first ones where our whole team really came together and had, had earned the, the stripes to put together something like that. Um, you know, the, the early source books, the Travar and Elven Nations books were both based off of old manuscripts that were developed for third edition and kind of polished and, and edited and updated, but never really developed as part of the fourth edition ethos. Um, Quest Stores was the first one that did, and I think that came out pretty well um, for what it was. Mystic Paths is very similar along those lines, but Iopos is the first real, like, focused setting exploration that we had. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with the c contributions of, of everybody involved and how that came together. And also big kudos to, to the mechanical work that went into that, which is another huge part of Earthdawn. That's its own whole like interview and discussion. And, and we won't dive heavily into the core step system tonight, but, uh, I, I know you've got <laughs> people that you get to, uh, lean on for doing a lot of the mechanical work and they did a, a bang up job, uh, in the Opos and, and what is hiding in the back of those chapters I don't want to give too much away on. But Eopos was what I thought we'd be talking about when we set up this interview. And then... Little did you know, suspicions were in my head, but yes. And then there was a big setting-shattering news announcement that occurred right after the Eopos book came out. And those of us who kickstarted it had gotten our copies and went, wait a minute... Did you well, those that understood it, I'm reading, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> did Smile you, and nod. Did you know that you were going to announce this big setting-shattering news that chains straight into the current Kickstarter through the online cartoon uh, comic strip for Earth Dawn? Or how did you decide yes. to make that big decision? We that, that we we had been so we had been planning that announcement for a while. Like it was part of the, when we were first starting the development work and we were working with Don Higgins, who does champions challenge the earth Dawn web comic. Um, check it out. If you haven't, the, the first story arc is, is complete and available online. Um, and it will be available in print at some point in the not quite defined future, but, but not too far off. Um, when we were like first developing the basic framework of the story, we already knew at that point that the first real big sort of setting shakeup that was going to happen was going to be the death of Uld and Erastus. Um, and so like some of the stuff that we started dropping is hints in, you know, some of the books that we were working on, especially with regards to Iopos and some of the stuff we were doing on that. Like we knew like there was planning that was involved um, really, really early on uh, in that. And so we we knew that the announcement of Ool's death in the comic was going to come right around the same time as the announcement of Empty Thrones, which I had been teasing for a while as a super secret project. 
um, you know, and things like that, that like this was this was the cul- that announcement was sort of the culmination of we have just set up a whole bunch of dominoes in a row. And now people suddenly can like step back and see the pattern and watch us flick that first one. First, you get major brownie points for adding a pattern joke into an Earth Dawn interview. Second, for anybody listening along at home, old Denerastus had been as long as the whole setting had been around. The head of Eopos and the Denerastus clan with an iron grip on that city, the holders of trust, and all of these other machinations we've kind of described. So the shock and awe that Ola's is dead and that there is a new book coming out called Empty Thrones, with a plural, uh, certainly took the Earthdawn community by storm, and that's why it's so exciting to have Josh here, because there are many questions, many, yeah. many questions. Well, I, I, I especially like the fact we had developed the Iopos book with an eye towards, okay, we're going to be doing this, so part of what we need to do in Iopos is like, like put, like start to build some of the conflicts and relationships between other members of the family because when ul is gone all of those suddenly become really really important like even more important than people kind of like would otherwise realize just by reading that book in isolation empty thrones was really sort of developed in parallel in part because one of the things that we were working on as part of the iopos book that never that didn't really fit into it or ended up being too much to fit into it was like a discussion and a bit more look at what kind of things I, the Denerastis are up to in other parts of the province. And it just didn't really fit the flavor of the book. But if we kind of go back and say, well, let's do another book that will focus on a couple of these p- plots, among other things, um, and the consequences of those and how those unfold in the wake of this event. Um, and let's let's see if we can pull this off. Like we've, okay, we've done our sort of Adept's Way style homages with quest doors and empty thrones. We've done a little bit of kind of setting development with, you know, the Elven Nations book and Trevar and some of the stuff that's been developing with the Legends of Barsave adventure series. Um, we've now got our first real look at the at the current big bad of the of the setting with the Den- with Iopos and the Denerastis. Let's now see if we can do a, a bar save at war style supplement um, and pull it off. And another side note, the bar save at war supplement is what many will think of as the archetypal. one I was thinking of. Yeah. See the absolute archetypal earth dawn book where it's a campaign book where it is designed around the player characters being able to be involved, where it takes place across the whole setting and the story advances. It is the epitome of how do you have characters who matter in a world that has people bigger than them, but still make them feel like the mythical and legendary players and characters they are, while advancing the story and allowing writers room to create all sorts of new stuff. And so Empty Thrones as that next goal is ambitious, but also well-promised. And I think it's we're down to about a week and a half by the time this drops on it, and you've already reached your you know the initial goal for the Kickstarter. How long did it take you just to hit that that initial funding goal? Uh, we hit the initial funding goal on this campaign in less than an hour, which I think the only one that met faster was the original fourth edition campaign, the one that that basically launched the line. A, f- a few years ago. I, I think that's the only other one that, that met that quickly. 
um, because like Iopos came out and it like the 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 preview draft got released to the backers and they got an early look at it. The final release PDF went out to them like within a month of the campaign closing. So they got the final book in their hands. Um, and then like right on those heels, it was, and Hey, here's the new book. A lot of people had already seen how good Iopos was and had like, were along for the ride because also of the, like we have at, at this point sort of earned the trust of the hardcore fan base with mystic paths and quest doors and some of the other stuff. And Iopos that when we go, okay, here's our next big thing. Are you with us? They were like, oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just, just threw money at us. We are, as of this recording, um, a little bit over $21,000 of our $5,000 goal. So we hit the second of the two stretch goals that we had. We actually have a third stretch goal um, that will have been announced by the time this drops um, that we are um, going to have finally get around to releasing a digital version of the um, Bar Save uh, campaign setting map that was done as a poster for the previous one. Um, I'm looking into some tech aspects of it to see if we can, that some people have suggested like to see if we can make it a layered PDF so that people could like turn off the, um, the, the like city names and points and stuff like that. And just have the, um, just have the, the landscape, um, like looking at some options on, on how to make that cool. Um, that is going to basically be released to all backers, um, at no additional charge, um, you know, once we hit, I think 25,000 is the goal for that one. And we will probably hit that at the rate things are going. As someone who took a few extra days before I managed to get on there, I, I was in the, oh, hey, we're less than a thousand away from 20,000 uh, camp and threw my money in. So I, I'm excited also as someone from the previous Kickstarter who has the poster. So uh, that sounds like fun. And you just kind of mentioned the stretch goals and the ones you're excited for. So that takes care of that and before we kind of turn away and look back towards kind of some of those larger questions about earth dawn and, and while we've got empty thrones kind of keyed up what setting in empty thrones because it covers another chunk of places that didn't get a lot of time and space in the first few editions are you most excited to see developed for the player base um of the ones that are in there, I think the one that there were two that are sort of equal for me. One, we start to get a little bit more flesh on the bones of Jerus. That is a city that has been kind of important in the story of the Denerastus, because in the wake of the Second Theron War, the Denerastus basically used their tricks to take over the city. Um, and so it has been occupied, but it's not a city that has ever gotten a whole lot of, of focused development. And so while it's not a full source book size, there is quite a bit of information on sort of a, a basic idea of at least the fourth edition version of Jerus. I personally have not gone back to check to see if everything agrees with everything that has been mentioned about the city before, but the people who are working on it, um, you know, kind of looked into that. Um, so I kind of excited about that. I think some of the stuff that um, Carl did in his kind of write up and development of the city is actually a little bit different and intriguing um, as far as how it got through the scourge. Um, but the other one that I'm interested in is the um, uh, what is the sort of third of the four sort of significant adventure arcs that are in there. Um, 
and that is one that is set down on the border of uh, Carafad and Landis, um, the kind of long disputed border between the orc and uh, sort of now defunct human kingdom. Um, and f- built around Free Water, which is the new name of um, Bastown and Karup, if anybody is familiar with the the those towns there on the border of Karafad um, and sort of the refugee town that they have become in the wake of people uh, being kind of ki- non-orcs being kicked out of Karafad uh, and the resistance and kind of unrest that is kind of simmers there and how uh, the Denerastis are trying to ignite some tensions and trouble. Fun. Hey, Jules, I've kind of been dominating for a couple of minutes. Do you have any questions on what you've heard about Empty Thrones and what's going on to ask? Well, lack of a better word is, uh, for like I said, for somebody new coming in, to kind of put all this information together, where would you recommend, aside from just, okay, you read the, you know, the player's handbook, maybe flip through the the GM guide a little bit to get the, I guess, history and the feel and kind of what that impact is. Where would you recommend like we start reading and where would you say like, I put an asterisk. This is like, this is going to be important. Remember this. Do you know what I'm saying? What would you say the best way for that uh, for someone to go about that is? Um, well, it depends on what interests you. Um, I definitely would say that the latter part of the how it came to pass chapter in the GM's guide, especially once you get into the into the post scourge era, um, you know, once the cares have opened up and and things are going on there, um, understanding sort of the the Theron Wars and the the acts of the Denerastis and stuff that was kind of going on in, in that latter part of the actual setting development stuff that happened during sort of as, as first edition went on um, would be to start there. Um, but really, one of the things that, that we, again, trying to focus on or at least keep in mind the new people like yourself who may be coming and not have the, you know, extensive back catalog knowledge of what's been going on is to like, somebody should be able to pick up empty thrones. And that with that and the um, core books, at least have a pretty good grasp of what's going on. We like, we try to present within each of the little setting sections uh, of empty thrones, like what's going on, the important history of, of what the situation is basically trying to put that in context for somebody who is coming to that new and might not have, that um that backstory so you know again trying to to strike that balance of here's a bunch of stuff that we want to put in context for newer people but also have the little easter eggs and references that old guard will look at and go oh this is really cool they're bringing this back or here's a reference to something that is semi-obscure but it's clear that they were aware of it and you know things like that um it's a video podcast. You'd see him like pointing over towards me while he's talking. As yeah, for the old guard, you would, you would you would also see me like you know gesticulating wildly as I tend to talk with my hands and stuff like that. So, one of the other fun things that you've done, Josh, is you dived into the realm of podcasting about I think thirty four, thirty five episodes ago by now with the Earth Dawn Survival Guide. And yes, as people who are obviously podcasting. What has been the most enjoyable part of joining the podcasting masses for you? 
Um, the ability for for me, and in terms of the the Earth on Survival Guide and the show that I do do with um, Dan, uh, who's sort of my my co host on that, um, is the ability to provide almost in a sense like a developer's commentary um, to provide insight into why certain decisions were made, why things happened, whether they were under, you know, sort of my tenure in fourth edition or in earlier editions and looking at some of the, the design choices and consequences of that, especially when it comes to the emails that we get from listeners and, and earthed on fans who have questions about, you know, whatever various aspects like, and to, try and, and and present that sort of developer's context and thought process, at least that I go through when I'm working on things, and also to try and empower people to be able to sort of make those decisions and go f- figure out like what would work for them to go forward to to really make the, the game at their own table their own. Well, and as part of the great podcast compact, we are required to make sure that we have, you know, links to that. So it's going to be in the doodly-doo for all the listeners at home. If you're not listening already, go download, subscribe, rate, review, like, right after you do that for Seize the GM. Yep. And after you do, and after you've listened to us, and then you've gone to listen to Josh's podcast, come back here and let us know what kind of things you might have gotten as a possible Earth Dawn GM that might help you or things that might have piqued your interest. And maybe if you want to pitch it to your players, you know, come on and feed, feed Josh's ego because darn it, he deserves it. This guy is, is ready brilliant. And as, and I'll say this personally, he is probably one of the most patient people to play with because he loves the game so much. He wants you to, and it shows in the work that's done in all the books, he wants you to love it too. So if you're kind of confused, I'm like, wait, is it like this? Or when do I X, Y, Z? He's like, well, here's where it is in the book. And he reads it for the book. And I'm like, I still don't get it. And then he he kind of does a full 90 degree turn and explains it to me. And like, ran, it's like, he'll put it in like D&D speak, or he'll put it in tech speak, or he'll put it in cooking speak. He figures out a way to get the point across. And in the Earth Dawn books, that kind of care shows. It's I'll, I'll be honest. the The gaming system itself, the nuts and bolts of playing it, it's not a, it's not super duper simple, and it takes a little bit of of work to kind of get your head around it. But yeah, you know, I've learned it. I'm still not great at it, but you know, I've I always has I've always felt once I've I've learned something, kind of mastered it in my head. You know, Josh kind of makes you feel like, you know, get the thumbs up and the pat on the head. It's like, well done. And just even reading the book, when you kind of, a concept kind of clicks, you feel kind of proud of yourself for that. So that's that's just me going off on it as, you know, just a, a, a lowly player. I'm not, I'm not experienced enough to run it yet. I hope to eventually. I've gotten a couple friends interested in it. But I need to learn it better. Well, and... Before we, you know, kind of wrap up, because we've had a generous amount of time, Josh, if we're ever in the same place at the same time, I will run one of the Earthstone adventures that I've been knocking around in my head for a while for you. I think you would enjoy it. Jules, this goes double for you, but you knew that. Before we move to our closing remarks, we've got a link to the Empty Thrones Kickstarter. We've got a link to the Fossa game site with Earthstone, Champions Challenge, the Survival Guide, all in the show notes. What else would you like to share with our audience? 
Um, Are there any of the resources there you can think of or that might be? So first thing that I would point people to, if you are just being introduced to Earth Dawn um, and the core books can be daunting, they're like 500 pages each because we tried to include as much old material in them as possible to try and avoid having to reprint stuff later on. But the first thing that I would look at is the free quick start guide which is available both at facetgames.com in our web shop and at DriveThruRPG. Um, that includes a basic summary of the rules, some pre-generated characters, and a really basic like two to three hour starter adventure that you and and you know four or five friends um, you know can can sit down with and like be up and running and and get the basics of the game you know relatively quickly. Um, it, it's a game that certainly. Um, especially in in these days trying not to get too whatever but i i know that there are a lot of people who really like the sort of um like crunchy fantasy stereotypes of D because it is the the 900 pound gorilla of the industry but for whatever reason might be feeling disillusioned because maybe it's not providing them enough in gameplay they're not happy with some aspects of what's going on in the D community or whatever that's fine earth dawn is one of those games that is like click connects into enough of the fantasy RPG tropes that somebody who has not experienced any of the other incredible diverse array of games that is available out there, but, and only knows D and D can come into earth dawn and the system might seem a little bit weird, but can get the hang of it, but understand exactly sort of what they're supposed to be doing and what the goals are right from the get go. And unlike some other games, which are maybe a little bit more out there conceptually, is like really nice in saying hey there are other games some of them will be like kind of like getting a a a different suit coat like it's familiar but it looks really cool you know that that kind of idea um and i've loved the game now for forever since you know pretty much i i first picked up the book and i i want to share that love and and you know spread that to to other people and it's and heartening to hear from Jules and from other people um, that I am succeeding in that task. Well, I will be honest. You are a fantastic, um, I, I guess, ambassador for Earthon. I mean, yes, you work on it, but you're able to speak about it in the complexity for the old guard like Gardemanger or noobs like me. And we both get all kind of like all squeed up and hyped. So I think that speaks to your love and your care for working on this game and wanting to it to just be even more awesome as things come out. So Yeah, and I'm going to, you know, echo the thanks to Josh for not just being on Seize the GM and making us feel good, but <laughs> really putting in a lot of good work with Earth Dawn and for kind of shepherding this this property back that is engaging and awesome and wonderful and takes everything about fantasy role-playing game mechanically and makes it make sense in the narrative which is one of the things i truly enjoy and so we're going to give you a big thanks and make sure everyone checks the show notes do the whole like rate review if you're listening before we kind of give our quick closing remarks and our our tradition here in our closing remarks josh is to kind of recommend something to our listeners be it a tv movies books or even you know going outside of the sunscreen and uh that's a mosquito repellent and, and getting some sunshine but just something to uh for them to think about doing in the upcoming week or two to inspire them and so jules what do you have to kind of close us out all right all right 
<sighs> All right. I'm going to be going with, um, it's an anime I'd heard about, and I finally decided to, all right, fine, I'll watch an episode, because my husband was saying, you got to watch it. And it's called uh, Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma. And it's, you know, I'm like, oh, it's a high school cooking anime, and I was thinking it'd be an annoying slice of life. And no, actually, within the first couple episodes, you're seeing a food battle with the intensity of something you'd see in, like, Naruto or One Piece or Black Clover. And I'm like okay, they're making food battles and there's flames coming up on the backsides of people and they're giving that really creepy eye. And it's there's rivalries uh, and actually a lot of interesting food facts, stuff that I didn't know. And I checked it out. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're right. And no, I'm not kidding. There's exploding clothes. <laughs> but the nice thing that I also like is each character, they're not, when you first meet them, you know, like when you meet a person, they feel a little one-dimensional. But as the story goes on, you learn about them, you see them grow, you see them change, you see them fail, how they deal with failures, how they grow from them. And it's kind of fun. There is a bit of a kind of etchy component. Um, it's a lot more prominent earlier, but it kind of simmers down later in the series and it is used to really hilarious uh, comedic effects. So you can watch this on Crunchyroll, on Verve, and... Uh, Heck, it might give you a couple of uh, ideas for, um, you know, recipes or foods of your own. Like, I'll be honest. There was some like, oh, I never thought about that. Let's add that to a pizza. So <laughs> how about you, buddy? What you got, Gardemanger? Well, obviously, the Empty Thrones Kickstarter and the Earth Thrones Survival Guide podcast are things people should click on and listen to. But I'm also going to say if you've got Disney+, Plus. Gather some inspiration from Gargoyles. It is one of the seminal works of the 90s cartoons. It is a nonstop inspiration for storytelling held up with Batman the Animated Series and other kind of cartoons of that era that started bridging into literature and inspiration and really kind of transcending what can best be described as the single greatest off-season Star Trek hobby in the voice cast. Yeah, that's for darn sure. I actually, as soon as way, way back in the day before I came out on Disney Plus, when the when the DVDs came up for purchase, I'm like, I don't know how long they're going to get this. I have to get them. It's amazing. It really is. Exactly. And Josh, if you've got anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners to take inspiration from, we'd be happy to add that in. Right now would be. Um, if you haven't kept up with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is actually still running, amazingly enough, despite the fact that it probably hasn't gotten any press whatsoever, they are in their final season right now. And this final season is like a time travel, like greatest hits reference kind of thing that I would look at as an inspiration for how you can go gonzo in your own game to not be ashamed of the things that you love and enjoy. The most recent episode that was out as of this recording was like basically each sort of episode or two, they've been jumping to a new decade. So they started in the thirties, then jumped to the forties and the sixties and the seventies. The most recent episode was set in the eighties and had a huge number of like references and um, homages and things like that, that, you know, a, a, a Gen X child like myself, you know, a team and chopping mall and, um, like, uh, 
you know, just all sorts of, of, you know, Knight Rider and like, like all sorts of pop culture stuff from the eighties is all just kind of jam packed into this, like unashamedly of, yes, we know that this is a cheesy reference. So what it's fun. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with embracing the gonzo and just having a good time with what, with what you're doing in your gaming. It doesn't all need to be like super dark and brooding and serious, you know, you, you can like mix the drama with the humor, throw a little bit of whimsy into your, you know, in, into your serious play um, because it's really, it's the contrasts um, that, that really like highlight stuff. And then just, it's supposed to be fun. So throw in stuff that you enjoy and have a good time. That sounds perfect. And I've got to admit, I'm, I think maybe a season and a half behind on agents of shield. So now I've got a goal. Well, everyone, Thanks for listening along at home. Thanks, Josh, for coming in and talking not just about the Yopos and Empty Thrones Kickstarters, but Earth Dawn as a larger thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all, from all of us here at Seize the GM, make sure that this time, this week, you have some fun. Keep playing some games. And if you got a chance, check out the Earth Dawn stuff. And if it catches your fancy, leave us a note. Catch us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Smoke Signals, Pony Express, you know, Discord. <laughs> I think there may even be a MySpace somewhere, but uh, <laughs> you guys go find that. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, all. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardeMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seizethegm.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.